Welcome to Hot Truths by Vertex. This is where we peel the layers and uncover raw, unobvious industry insights and venture capital knowledge across Southeast Asia and India. We interview some of the world's top leaders in tech, innovation, and capital formation to hear the stories of enlightening discoveries, as well as aha moments to help early stage entrepreneurs navigate their building journey. If you like what you hear, please click follow or subscribe and share this with your friends so others can also find and benefit from our content. Podcast notes are linked in the episode description. Click through for the episode transcript, bite-sized summaries, and a wealth of other resources and content that we have curated just for you. Let's move on to the podcast show. Hi, I'm Elise Tan, and I'm your host for this episode of Hard Truth by Vertex Podcast. Today, I'm really thrilled to have Joseph Poir on our show. Hi, Joseph. Hi, hi, Elise. Great to have you here. Joseph is the founder of Park Tor, and now he is the chairman of 17 Life, a live streaming technology to empower content creators around the world. What are the other projects that you are involved with? Could you tell us? Thank you, Elise. I founded Park Tour back in 2013, right? So uh, it's been almost 10 years since we started. Uh, Park Tour merged with a company called 17 Life uh, back in 2016. Stepped down as CEO uh, of 17 Life, the group, back in uh, 2020 while still maintaining my chairman position in the company. As I was introduced to a, a podcast, a podcast company called SoundOn. Uh, in Taiwan uh, by uh, an investor of ours in Taiwan and uh, fell in love with what they were doing and uh, and, uh, ended up acquiring the company. Um, So SoundOn is a podcast hosting platform with its to see uh, a player. It has about 60% of market share in the Taiwanese market Mm. um, and hosts uh, most of the top shows that you hear in Taiwan today. Um, it's com- the company is about 60 percent strong today, um, and we have actually done quite a bit of uh, 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 improvements to its business model over the last year or so. So from SoundOn as our first acquisition, I started to build a team around investing and acquiring because I find that um, acquisition is a way to grow where you overcome the zero to one uh, through acquisitions and then you build from one to ten. It's actually a more efficient way for operators like myself and a more efficient spend of time um, and to remove the uncertainties from zero to one, which is the hardest, as we all know. And so over the last two years, I set up my family office and we, well, this is a single family office, and uh, we have done 12 deals so far, of which six are uh, full acquisitions uh, with um, a majority control. The, the last and most recent deal that we worked on is where we set up a, a news media outlet called Next Apple in Taiwan. We rehired the employees, a defunctional news media platform. And uh, today, it is a top five media platform in, in Taiwan. And I spent quite a bit of time managing the operations of their business. The team today continues to scout for opportunities uh, globally. And they were very much into consumer-related technology businesses because our experience actually comes from Pacto and, and 17 Life. That's where, that's where I got my training over the last 10 years. 
and Seventeen Life is uh, invested by Vertex Ventures Southeast Asia and India. So, would you like to tell us more about how Seventeen Life come about? Right. Um. So I I, I founded Pacto back in twenty thirteen, and I expanded our dating business into Taiwan, and there I met my partner Jeff. Jeff at that point in time was also, was also doing a dating business, was building a dating business in Taiwan. And he exited the dating business in 2015 and pivoted into a live stream business um, for the purpose of getting people to meet people, mm-hmm. right? And that was back in 2015. And so, I mean, we remain in very close contact, although we are competitors. And 2014, 2015, I would meet up with him whenever I was in Taiwan and he, was telling, he would tell me all about his live streaming business. And in 2016, he was facing some uh, challenges in terms of growing the business. And I was looking at opportunities to to expand our our business of uh, connecting people with other people. And we felt that there was actually a very strong uh, commonality uh, within the TA of both businesses. And and so then we thought about possibly working together. Eventually, we merged the businesses together. Right? So 17 Life um, uh, uh, was more of an opportunity that I saw together with Jeff. He saw the pot- potential to build this. And I guess we were lucky, right? So in, in 2016, we started building the business. In 2017 and 2018, we, start, we got leadership within uh, Taiwan and in Japan and then in Hong Kong. And then moving into Southeast Asia, we started building in 2018 and 2019. And COVID hit, right, in 2020. And mm-hmm. so people couldn't go out. So that actually basically just accelerated the business uh, uh, significantly over the last two to three years. Today, it's a billion-dollar uh, business. We have uh, leadership positions in Japan, uh, Taiwan, Hong Kong. Uh, parts of Southeast Asia and in the US, uh, we're very profitable, and uh, the team is actually quite lean. It's a it's a very strong uh, operational, strong team. We've done this for the last six seven years. We are right at the top of the game in terms of live stream and interactive content, um, and especially at this time where people are so used to interacting with other people uh, through remote means, uh, I think that that's actually uh, it's a very good timing for our business. Mm. How did you know at that time when you decided to merge that it would be the right opportunity? What were the signs that you were seeing? I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know, right? Luck played a huge part in this in this process. I wouldn't say that uh, we saw anything. What I, what we did see uh, was the strong propensity for the uh, uh, for the audience and for the consumers to pay, right? Uh, but uh, what we uh, couldn't tell, of course, is the is, I mean, nobody could tell COVID. Nobody could tell that we would mm-hmm. move so quickly. Nobody could tell that we would advance so quickly into this, 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 uh, this, uh, this part of the this part of the spectrum of uh, communication through 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 the air. Yeah. Yeah. Nevertheless, I mean, that's good news for uh, Seventeen Life and for Vertex as well, being an investor. So, just curious, how did you get to know Vertex? I think it goes back to twenty thirteen when I first launched our dating business in Singapore. Uh, it quickly, Pacto quickly became the top dating application back then. And uh, when you rise quickly to the ranks, Vertex is a very rigorous way of spotting trends and spotting uh, uh, up and coming uh, products. And so my investment manager at that point in time, Evie, reached out to us uh, very early on. I think one month from launch, uh, Evie reached out to he reached out to me and uh, we, we started chatting about um, possibly working together. But at that point in time, we weren't raising. And so then only back in uh, 2014, one year after we first interacted, um, uh, the first meeting, and then that we raised capital from Vertex. And of course, Evie brought me to see the extended team. Right? You have Keelong, you have Juhong, and then you have the rest of the team. And the Vertex culture is very, I would say, very family, very, 
I would say that generally the investment space is not one that is made of families. Either it is uh, you spot trends, you invest in those companies. Uh, it's it's a relatively aggressive environment. Mm. Not to say that Vertex is not aggressive. Over the ten years, I have seen the aggression from the way Vertex bets on their winners. However, um, Vertex exudes a, a, a family environment where they're very supportive of their founders. It was from the very first day you, you get the sense that um, you know they're looking more to bring founders into the family, into the Vertex family, right? And they're looking to invest into the winners. But at the same time, uh, they also understand very well that winners go through ups and downs and they're very willing to play the long game. That sets Vertex very much apart uh, from the rest of the investors in, in the market. I mean, we have a very stellar roster. 79 is a very stellar roster of investors. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Right? But I would say as Vertex is the first anchor investor that you really want to bring on board. I've been through so many in the last 10 years. I mean, we were the first company to ring the bell on a, on a New York Stock Exchange and not list, mm-hmm. right? And, and through that difficulty, uh, we managed to claw our way back up into the very profitable cash uh, growing business, fast growth business that we have today. If not because of Vertex, I mean, we wouldn't have been able to cross that, that, that difficulty. And this just was one of many challenges that we faced over the last 10 years. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I mean, when I speak to many of our founders, they mentioned how Vertex had helped them through the thick and thin. And um, actually, since you mentioned about how you have uh, rang the bell at uh, on the stock market but not list, can you tell us about what actually happened and how did you feel and uh, what how did you actually you know kind of turn the business around? I think there's something really interesting. Hmm. So, so there is there is a Tech in Asia article of an interview that I did. So. Uh, I, I'm not going to go in too much detail because mm. it's all out there in, 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 the, in the market already. Sure. But essentially, there were some technicalities with the listing process that we missed. By the same time, I feel that it was a confluence of many bad events that led to that event of us not being listed. I remember it was Friday. We rang the bell in the morning and I spent the next three, four days holed up in a boardroom in New York, working through with the bankers, the lawyers, our investors. Vertex team was there, uh, trying to fix and resolve the issue. But if I remember correctly, it was Monday night, uh, New York time, Tuesday, Asia time, where I made a call to pull off the IPO and uh, mm-hmm. to, to call off the IPO. And I mean, it wasn't the easiest thing, right? It wasn't the yeah. easiest thing because, you know, you have a team that is counting on this happening. You have a team that trusted you to make this happen. You have a group of investors that trusted you to make this happen. And we felt just at the point in time, it wasn't the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we had to push it through, we might have been able to do it, but it would have been a disastrous outcome. And it was, it was, it turned out to be the best decision ever because we had to hunker down in 2018 because the listing didn't happen. We had to hunker down. The fundraising environment wasn't as bad. And we managed to raise a, a very quickly with the support of investors around the funding to basically get us across the tide of loss making. In 2019, we were break even and slightly profitable. And then, People started saying the winter was coming. That was back in 2020, uh, back in 2019, 2020. And so we turned profitable just before the winter. And when people were started to scramble around for, for, for fundraising, we were profitable, self-sustainable. Because COVID came along and the businesses exploded and grew very strongly. And even now, after COVID, where businesses are suffering, we're doing very well because we have a very strong and profitable business and a, a very, very, um, I mean, very stellar foundation here. And so I would say, Yes. I mean, looking back, that's possibly the most painful experience I've had to go through as a, as a founder, yeah. um, letting down so many people in one shot. 
But at the same time, also, I feel like if that didn't happen, I would have let down a lot more people after. Thank you for, you know, being authentic and sharing this experience. I'm sure it hasn't been easy and I'm so happy, you know, with the kind of turnaround and the results that uh, 17 Life is having now. So, um, what would you say would be the hard truth, you know, uh, you would share with entrepreneurs having gone through your experience? I think everybody has their own positions, their own strengths, their own characteristics. Their, their businesses are very different. They have a different set of circumstances. So it's actually very difficult to, to share anything that, um, that would apply throughout. Uh, but I, I would say like, um, it's very, very important to pick right partners. It's very, very important to pick right investors. It's very important to pick right shareholders. Uh, we have been lucky because we have had Vertex supporting us. Now we had the chance across the last 10 years to pick other investors that we didn't pick and uh, we didn't work with. And we're thankful we didn't work with them because not all investors can do what Vertex has done. Uh, secondly, I think it's also very important to understand that it's a long game. It's a long game, mm. right? Um, and, and times may be tough, times may be difficult, just like now it's capital is short and uh, a lot of businesses are, are, are being challenged right now. But I mean, I always firmly believe, like I told my last interviewer and uh, I, I tell my portfolio companies or I tell the, the entrepreneurs that I mentor that um, you only truly fail when you give up, right? Uh, even if you're left with yourself, right? You have lost all your employees because you cannot afford to pay them. And your website is almost close to being cut off because you cannot pay your, your cloud bills, right? I wouldn't say you have failed yet, right? You may have failed to a certain extent, but you are not completely failed. As long as you don't give up, uh, there is still a shot. Right? And that's why it actually really boils down to what you hope to achieve. If you want to build something because you believe in it, you enjoy what you're doing, you believe that what you're building is actually creating value for the world, then it's a very strong intent and motive for you to, uh, uh, to carry on. Right, but if you're building it because, hey, you think that this business is an easy business to build, you're probably going to make a lot of money, and that's possibly not the right way, the easier ways to make money um, than that, and uh, building a business is tough. I think these are just the, the I mean, th these two, I believe, are mm. universal truths, right? You've yeah. got to find good partners. And at the same time, you never quit, you never fail. You mentioned about Sound On. I did a, li a little bit of research before uh, interviewing you. So there, yes. it seems like there are 500 million downloads in uh, 2021. So I think that sounds amazing. Yeah, so um, SoundOn actually does a lot more today. SoundOn does about three hundred, close to 300 million listens uh, every month now. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it's the fastest growing hosting platform in uh, in the local market in Taiwan. And uh, today we host uh, active uh, podcast shows about 11,000 every month. We also started to work into other genres of audio within live stream audio uh, to social networks uh, built on the audio basis, on, on basis of audio. So think about it as like a radio on demand created by slightly professional user-generated content uh, by thousands every day of content creators every day. If you think about the evolution of uh, media and the media types and the media channels and whatnot, in the very early days, it's basically street form entertainment, right? Street form entertainment where everybody gathers around a, a town square and you watch and listen to entertainment. And then you move into radio, right? And then you move into television, video. That's also in a straight line form, fixed programming, 
the consumer uh, absorption. And then you move into on-demand radio and then on-demand video. And, and then you move into live, you move into live video. And then uh, you move into live audio. These different modes of uh, content and information dissemination through uh, media types um, has only changed in the form of dissemination, has not really changed in the form of content creation or whatnot. But this dissemination is actually quite key because mm. um, the form of dissemination and the technology around the form of dissemination actually allows for different types of monetization, different types of business models around there, where in single form, uh, single form dissemination of video or audio content generally results in very um, fixed business models, either through subscriptions or through um, advertising. When you move on into two-way information flow from, for example, live content or, for example, chat-based interaction, this actually allows uh, for paywall-type uh, monetization methods or for real-time uh, monetization through gifting, for example. Uh, Twitch has a very active uh, gifting model. Facebook also has stars. YouTube also has claps. Right? So this two-way form of uh, communication has also enabled different types of monetization to, to evolve. So SoundOn per se has both the one-way, which is a podcast, which essentially is audio on demand, um, through multiple verticals because you have many, many creators. So it's like having like infinite channels and you can pick the, the, the content that you like and the monetization there is quite quite uh, varied as well. You have donations, you have subscriptions, you have advertising, right? So that allows for a lot. But at the same time, if you move into audio live streaming, the same, same creators can also have the same type of monetization methods, but it's a lighter form of communication from, uh, from the creators to the consumers. And then you have an added form of... Uh, you would have added forms of monetization to that. So SoundOn encompasses uh, a quite a wide spectrum of uh, audio or audio content creation and monetization today. You mentioned about how um, when you have a vision, when you believe in what you're doing, that keeps you going even though you know things are tough. So what makes you so sure about your business? I'm never sure about my business model. Right, and that cannot happen because if you're very sure about business model, something is wrong. You're not trying new things. Uh, there are always ways to improve, and so I am never one hundred percent sure. Right, but but you can always be sure when you're making progress, mm. when you're doing better than you were doing yesterday. And I think it's very important for you to continue to do better than you are doing yesterday. Another one of my partners often says, "Right, it's not you never find a it never find a golden bullet. It's one percent a a day, is a lot over a year." Right, so. I think uh, one can never be sure about the business model that you're building, but one can be sure that you're making progress. Right? I enjoy doing every single thing I'm doing right now. I'm running multiple companies. I'm investing. I'm solving problems. I'm trying to uh, help companies break even. I'm trying to help companies become more profitable. I'm working on listings. I'm working on uh, divestments. I'm creating value. Like This is what I enjoy doing. Can I be sure that I'm doing the right thing? I mean, what is right? Right and wrong defined by who? Right. Mm. I know that I like what I'm doing. And so I enjoy waking up every morning. I enjoy going to work every morning. I enjoy speaking to people, building teams, working with my team members. Of course, there are days that are uh, off. There are moments that you get upset. There are, there are things that don't go your way. This is just life, right? And um, so can I be sure that I'm, uh, I'm doing the right thing? No, I can never be sure. But can I be sure that I'm enjoying what I'm doing? Yes, for sure. And if I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm making money while I'm doing it, I must be doing something right. Thanks for sharing that. And I, you know, this reminds me of a previous podcast we did. So Jessica, one of our investment uh, directors, she was sharing about how 
actually, you know, our founders take years to get to product market fit. But some, some, you know, they are so fixated with getting it right in the short time, which actually creates a lot of pain. So I like it that you mentioned, you may not know this is the right thing you're doing, but at least you're enjoying what you're doing and you're seeing the value that you, you deliver to your customers. That, yeah, I think that that is one, actually one learning point, um, perhaps for the audience. So I want to actually move back into the content part because I think content is really something that you have a lot of a lot of experience and expertise in. For Vertex, this is also very close to heart. We have invested into also audio podcast platform in India called Kuku FM, and then we have invested into Tip Tip in Indonesia, which is also live streaming platform. So would love to hear, you know, what do you think would be the future? I mean, I, I can't really tell what's going to be in the future because. I'll be very rich, um, <laughs> but but I I would say this right. I would say that it is this uncertainty in the evolution of uh, content creation and media dissemination that requires all companies to continuously evolve. Five six months ago, speaking to a bot to ask for a travel itinerary seemed quite a bit far, right? but today it's not so far anymore. So how does the advent of ChatGPT actually uh, affect all our business models. I think this is something that um, is an opportunity and a risk mm-hmm. uh, for for all business models. And so, I would say I would say this right. I, I would say that as uh, tools become more and more available, as resources become more and more uh, distributed, I would say that the the mode of content creation and uh, content dissemination will end up becoming more and more decentralized, and the decentralization of this um, business necessarily requires the support of business models or tools uh, to help this grow. So it's very important for all types of uh, media-related businesses to be cognizant of the fast-changing landscape. I guess actually all businesses is very it's very important, right? But uh, but for me, I think uh, the business model is changing every single day, right? We have teams uh, working on. Uh, figuring out how to use ChatGPT to uh, a mode of similar similar mode to to create um, uh, basis of uh, content, right? Can we actually do so? And I saw recent articles about uh, influencer creation, right, uh, with the full video and photos that lifelike, uh, creating uh, um, uh, songs, uh, singing, creating good content. It's quite scary. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's quite exciting, right? Um, one certainty is that it's going to continue to evolve, and but trends going forward is it will never, not that it will never, it will become less and less likely that we are going to move backwards into a centralized content creation or distribution uh, model. It's very likely it's going to be more and more decentralized, and I think the winners in this space will be predicated on how we can follow this uh, trend and build for this trend. You don't necessarily have to be involved in the actual content creation because it's just too difficult. But if you're involved in the process of this content creation um, as a supporting platform, a supporting tool, a supporting uh, distribution uh, function, I think generally you will win. One of the one of the things that we constantly tell our portfolios is that it may not always be the best thing to be at the forefront mm. of, of something. You could be a part of the forefront uh, because then you will have time to react. You would have time to react. You would have time to change your business model. Because if you're at the forefront, you're taking, you're going to get the maximum return on everything, but you're taking massive, massive risk. But if you're, if you're part of the chain, uh, you could have the ups and downs, 
but it will never be one that is uh, massively detrimental uh, to to the livelihood of your business. So I mean, um, it's difficult to say um, how it will look like tomorrow. But one one at least one hypothesis that I hold true that I, I constantly inculcate in the team is that decentralization will continue uh, in terms of the, the the way content is created and distributed. Yeah, I yeah I like what you mentioned about decentralization of content, and I think you know in in this past ten years is is a lot of um, I guess uh, people looking at how can they control their own content, uh, their own data and all that. How do you see the patterns uh, differing across different parts of the world? Because um, for Southeast Asia and India, uh, Vertex sees actually quite different patterns across India, Indonesia, Singapore, the way we consume content and interact with the you know, content creators. So tell us more. So I, one, one thing I can say for sure is that that is correct. One thing I cannot say for sure is uh, how it differs very much. I, what we see is that um, markets like Taiwan, Japan, Hong Kong, um, Singapore, uh, Malaysia, they behave roughly similar. And so our business model works very well without any type of uh, modifications. The same business model applied in India wouldn't work. Mm. right? So we've had to actually through our, um, we have two applications. We have 17 Life and we have a Mini. And the Mini is specifically tailored for the Indian market. Whether it's a much uh, more populous market, but in terms of uh, average revenue per, per user, it's lower. Mm. Right? So you have to adapt your business model for market different variables like uh, ARPU, conversion rates, uh, time spent, and the technology of the mobile phones as well, Android mm. or iOS, and uh, in the frames, the, the speed of loading of the, the, the video, the latencies, and all these things need to be adapted. So I, I would say it differs for many reasons, hardware, software, culture, uh, spending behavior, cultural norms, and whatnot. Uh, it all uh, it all differs, but I cannot tell you specifically like, hey, you know, so the U.S. market is what, India is what, Taiwan is what now. But but on on this point, like for example, like in India, people use uh, generally more Android than iOS, mm. and uh, Android phones have a lower resolution, have uh, um, a poorer latency, and and so in terms of your product adapting, you have to do a lot of work on that, right? In terms of creating live content, in terms of uh, creating uh, good content. But it also means when you have like very, very good content, it may not be appreciated to the maximum because the quality of the content that comes out may not be that good, right? Which means the amount of money you can spend on creating good content may be less, right? And so it actually all just boils down. So there, there are many, many, many variables uh, that affect uh, the, the trends of content creation. And I would say uh, only the locals know. Right, so that's one, one thing that we, we often do. So when we expand into different markets, it's a local team that runs the show. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, as, as HQ, uh, we provide the technology. We listen to the product managers on the ground. We will listen to the marketers on the ground. We will listen to the content managers on the ground. And so one, one, thing, one thing is for sure true. You have to have local teams guide the business. But, but in terms of how content uh, strategies uh, differ across markets, it, that's a wide, very wide topic that could span many different areas uh, of, of the business. Got it, yeah. I think this is super useful for the audience. I think we have come to the end of our conversation. So I really appreciate the time as well as the hard truths and knowledge you have shared on uh, this discussion. So any last words for the audience? I, I would say that if, you, if, you're, if you're running a business now, it's not going to be the easiest times. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I mean, the, the companies that survive will, will, will be very, very strong after this because... Yeah. The weaker companies would have died off. The times will, will become better. 
I'm very thankful to Vertex, right? So I'm very thankful to everything that Vertex has done uh, for myself, for my company, for my team. Over the last 10 years, Kilok and Juhong and the team, uh, we, we very much appreciate everything you've done. And, and so happy to speak to anybody who is looking to build a business and considering if, if Vertex is a, is a good partner to be with because I, I can tell you we suddenly I can talk to you about all the, all the experiences we've, we've had with Vertex. Thank you so much, Joe, sir. Yeah. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Before we close, do remember to check out the podcast notes via the link in the episode description. We have for you the entire episode transcript, bite-sized summaries, and a wealth of other resources and content that we're sure you'll love. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do spread the word and give us a thumbs up. It would help others find the show and mean a lot to us. Thank you for joining us. This is Hot Truths by Vertex. See you next time.